Welcome to episode 54 of the Gump Hunters podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law joining me here tonight. Following Alabama's huge 17-point win, 41-24 to in the SEC championship game. Guys, I'm not sure if anybody saw this coming. I know for sure I sure didn't, and I'll be eating crow all show, and it's going to taste delicious. Um, J-Law thought we would maybe – Losing a close one, then he texted us game day, kind of swayed. He thought Reichard would win at the end. Lester thought we were going to win the whole time. He's the king. Um, so, Lester, let's start with you, man. What you know, t- talk about last week. We were breaking this game down. Nobody, of course, saw the offensive line having a game like this where they protected Bryce Young to the tune of zero sacks for the Georgia Bulldogs. Lester. Outside of the offensive line, who impressed you the most in this game? You can't say Bryce Young. That's the rule. You can't say Bryce Young, can't say the offensive line. Other than those two, what impressed you so much about Alabama's dominating win over the Dogs on Saturday in Atlanta? What impressed me the most was finally the defense stepped up. You know, whether this they, – they, the, our defense was opportunistic. It wasn't the best. But they were opportunistic. When the ball came their way, they made the plays. They got a couple stops when it was needed. Turnovers, you know, picks for touchdowns. Babel should have had one in the first damn quarter of the game. Um, but he made up for it. So that that defense, that's, that's what I wanted to see. You know, you, you're not going to stop anybody in this time, this age of college football. But you can take the ball away. And – that's huge. It's momentum changing. Um, it's important. So kudos to Pete Saban and, and those players making plays when they need to be done. Yeah, and, you know, the first drive of the game, you know, you, you, you hear about this Georgia defense. Not a lot of people are expecting Alabama to get out of the 20s um, as far as the scoring and, and battle just drops that pick six on the, on the first drive of the game and just – that air came out of a lot of people's sales and it's like, Oh gosh, like we've got to have those. You cannot make those mistakes today because at that time you're thinking you got to basically play perfect football and you've got to take advantage of every opportunity that this team is going to give you because they have been so sound on the defensive side of the ball at all levels of the field. And I know they hadn't played a quarterback that um, could push the ball downfield like Bryce Young can, but at the same time, you know, I think they were like third in the country in sacks or something like that. So they could get to the quarterback. Um, they don't have that dominant edge rusher as we as we figured out in, in this game Saturday. And actually Roman Harper said that pregame. And, uh, you know, but they can still they still have gotten to the quarterback all year. And um, and, you know, that really took pressure off of their secondary. And so they haven't really been exposed like they were on Saturday. But, you know. J-Law, what Lester's talking about with his defense, we we all talk, we we all thought that Alabama would need at least two turnovers. This is what I thought. I thought that if if the offensive line protected and Alabama got two turnovers, they could win the game. Now, of course, I did not think that either of those would happen because Stetson Bennett, even though he is a walk-on, even though he struggled against Alabama last year, he's improved so much. But as we all saw on Saturday, the defenses that he that he had been playing against obviously were not 
to the caliber of Alabama's. And um, he throws two interceptions, like Lester said, could have been three. Um, so the plan coming in, um, J-Lo, it, it, was, it was mostly, I think you saw mostly man-to-man. Um, you know, there, there were some pass interference penalties, but, you know, Alabama had seven penalties in this game. Three of them were on one drive. Um, two of them were, you know, in, in the secondary. But uh, overall, how do you think Alabama covered in this game, not the spread. I'm talking about, you know, you had Brock Bowers go off against us. Uh, George Pickens made a couple of big plays downfield. What grade do you give Alabama secondary in this game, even though they had the two interceptions and they were huge? You know, Battles was a pick six. Helms was on the 10-yard line, you know, going in. Georgia was in the red zone. So both timely interceptions. But overall, as a grade, Alabama's secondary didn't play great outside of those two plays. What grade do you give them overall? I think man, if you take um, Josh Job out of the mix, I might give him like an A, not an A minus, but an A. You got to realize, man, Josh Job had a chance to make two tackles that would have saved two touchdowns. Not to not to say that they wouldn't have gotten to the end zone after that play, but he missed Bowers on Bowers his last touchdown to make it twenty four, and he missed McConkey. They they got a guy named McConkey, and Josh Job can't tackle a guy named McConkey in open space. Uh, but, man, I tell you what, Jordan Battle was on the money. He is still, uh, I think, the only safety in college football not to give up a touchdown or whatever that stat this year maybe was a power five safety. Uh, Kool-Aid was in a tough spot, man. He run out there, uh, run out there against a veteran guy, George Pickens, who, yeah, he's been banged up. But, man, he's a, he's a legitimate talent. And uh, he also had a cover, was Burton, too, a few times. So, man, I thought that they played really well. And, you know, I thought that, my biggest takeaway from this game is, yeah, Bryce Young put up a lot of yards, put up a lot of, a lot of numbers. He threw for fifty nine percent. Like the the stat line, the yard line is awesome, but the completion percentage line like isn't amazing. And Stetson Bennett, if you look at his, the guy he played the Zach Calzada game. He played the game of his life outside of a pick six. Every he was making almost every throw. It felt like all the big throws he hit Bowers every single time. The guy plays out of his mind to me for at least on Stetson Bennett's meter. Dude, and they're still 17 points short at the end of the game. So if these two teams do play again, I mean, you're thinking, okay, maybe what if Bryce Young throws for 66% instead of 59? And what if Stetson Bennett comes down to earth and throws for his normal, you know, seven or 65%, 21 for 30 with 210 yards, so that blows their doors off if the offensive line can't protect. Well, and that was the big key. Yeah, well, you know, we'll definitely talk about that if they play again. We're not going to forecast that yet because um, we discussed that we're not going to do any playoff talk in this episode because, you know, we have a huge football game and a huge basketball game to cover from this past weekend. So we don't want to give you all a three-hour podcast. We've got two more weeks to talk about the playoff. But, yeah, I mean – as far as Stetson goes, J-Law, I, I, honestly, I'd be shocked if you see him in the playoff just because he's a senior. I highly doubt JT Daniels will be at Georgia again next year, whether he goes to the NFL and just takes a shot or transfers somewhere else. Because, I mean, Kirby's kind of jerked him around like he did with Justin Fields, if you really look at it. Talent-wise, there's no comparison between JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett. And I know that when Daniels was playing, he had seven touchdowns, three picks, so his stats don't blow you away. 
but his accuracy and ability to push the ball downfield is something that Stetson Bennett will never have. And Stetson has some pretty good scrambling ability, sure, but he's not Lamar Jackson that's going to break you down and, and you know, run for 100 yards a game. Um, he might he, he made some good scrambles in the game on Saturday, but with Kirby, you've got to understand that if you can't score on it, because, you know, it, this game just went to show you that in the spread era of college football, when you face an elite offense, and guys, how many times have we said this? Even when Pruitt was D.C., when Kirby was D.C., and as dominant as these Alabama defenses were, when you play an elite offense, what does your team look like? You know, it was it was it was, you know, kind of like you, you remember I would break down Tua's numbers against elite defenses and they were not great. He was his completion percentage was in the 50s. His touchdown to interception ratio was like two to one. He did not put up good numbers against elite defenses. He feasted on the, the peasants, really. And, and, and you know, Georgia kind of did that same thing. And we've seen Alabama defense, the 2016 defense, as great as that defense was. If you, if you listen real closely, you can hear Clemson scoring another touchdown because they cannot stop Deshaun Watson. You cannot stop a – you know, offense wins in this, day, in, this, in this day and age of college football. And, um, and so, J-Law, do you think that Stetson's – I know you're high. You, you think Stetson played well. I think he lost the game for him. I really do. I mean, if you punch that ball in on the touchdown in the red zone um, – I don't, I don't remember when the score was to that game. Gosh, I've rewatched the game six times and I can't tell you the score. But um, you know, you're down two touchdowns and you throw the pick six. You just kill any kind of momentum that you have for your team. Um, I think Stetson easily lost in the game. Yeah, he threw for three forty or whatever. But uh, you know, if you play Alabama again, what made Alabama so successful in this game, J-Law, was that Georgia ran for like 43 yards in the first quarter. They controlled the line of scrimmage. They ran it down Alabama's throats on their touchdown drive to make it 10 nothing. Alabama shut that down. They said, you're going to have to, you know, they're going to they're gonna make Stetson Bennett beat them, and, um, and he couldn't do it. I think Georgia ran for like 60 yards total the rest of the game or something like that. So, J-Law, if you're Kirby Smart, do you run Stetson Bennett out there against Michigan? And, and if so, why? I, if I've got JT Daniels there, and I know he, the reps is a big thing, but, you know, you've got three weeks of practice. I'm rolling JT Daniels out there against Michigan. Well, Kirby comes from the hard-headed school of Nick Saban when it comes to playing the best player. We'll see what he does there. But, but I guess my point isn't that, that Stetson played great. I just think that he played – better than Stetson Bennett right, normally to his, plays out right, to his ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, I mean, he played his absolute ceiling game and yeah, he made a couple mistakes, but I mean, but it, not to say if they played again, but I'm just saying like, if they, whoever they play, is he really going to throw for 340? Is he really gonna, I mean, is he going to make those throws? Like he missed some throws. There's no doubt. He should have thrown two pick sixes. He missed some throws, but I mean, is he really going to complete all the 50-50 balls again? Because he did. He completed almost every single one of them in the game. And I, I, just don't, I just don't think that's the case. So when I think about Stetson, serviceable comes to mind, not elite, above average maybe. So when they roll him out there, I mean, is he going to play against Michigan? I think he probably will because that's Kirby Smart's guy. He's going to stick with him the same way he stuck with Jake Fromm, the way, same way he stuck with Nick Saban, stuck with Jalen until it was almost too late. Um, man, but to me, man, you, you stuff the run, you get down 10-0, and you, and you say, 
this guy's going to have to beat us up and down the field. You just needed a score on offense to give your defense a spark. They got it in three plays. And then after that, man, the, the defense got a little confident. If you come out there, you got another three and out. They did. And the offense comes back out and, and they score again. They got to realize Alabama went on a 34 to 7 run in this game from the, well, I guess the 13 minute mark in the second quarter. Alabama goes on a 34 to 7 run. And, you know, people aren't accustomed to seeing that Georgia defense give up that many points. But, man, Bryce was accurate when he needed to be. The offensive line was physical when it needed to be. Bryce knew he was going to have to make some plays back in the pocket to kind of give himself some more time. He did, and that's going to be the recipe for success. And if you've listened to the podcast for the 13 weeks or so that we've done it, um, at least since the offensive line started the struggle against uh, Florida in the second half, that's kind of what we said is going to have to be the recipe. I thought Seth McLaughlin played well. I thought Chris Owens turned into a five-star for, for 60 minutes. And it turned out well for Alabama. Lester, um, <clears throat> as much as we've complained about the one-possession games that Alabama's had, you know, LSU, Florida, um, Texas A&M when you lost, Arkansas, um, a bunch of one-possession games that Alabama's been in this year, and what we said last week was if if it if it if it's a game late, if it if it goes into the fourth quarter and it's a one possession game or even a 10 point game, um, I think that Alabama has the advantage simply because Georgia's kind of like 2018 Alabama, you know, two and then they blew everybody out. The score was 49 to seven at halftime. And so, you know, you really didn't get a lot of 60 minute games. And um and and so I, I I thought that Alabama would have an advantage if the game went into the fourth quarter and it was close. But Lester, dude, second quarter, Georgia was gassed. And um, you know, they go down 10-0 and they have kind of a, a punishing drive on us. I mean, they control the line of scrimmage, like I said earlier. We can't do anything to stop it. They're running four, five, six yards of pop. And um and then, you know, Alabama scores in three plays. It threw the long pass to JMO. And then my first thought was, crap, now we got to send a tired defense back on the field. But as you watch the game, the team is conditioned in a different way than previous Alabama teams. And I, I don't necessarily think it's because of the strength and conditioning program, the new science and all that. I think it's simply because they've had to play five or six games this year, roughly half their schedule, they had the play where, I mean, because even the Tennessee game going into the fourth quarter was close. Alabama ended up scoring like four straight times and blowing them out, but they had to play a 60-minute football game five, six, seven times this year, and I think that really helped them conditioning-wise. I mean, everybody saw the play with Jordan Davis on Mechie's touchdown from Bryce in the second quarter, and the dude just just given up. He had nothing left in the tank, and it is the second freaking quarter. And I know usually in, in championship games, you're going to play about the first two or three drives strictly on adrenaline and emotion, um, and then your body tends to get even more gassed after that. And, man, this Alabama defense didn't waver, and that's something that, that, that I definitely saw. Um, but, Lester, as it, it, far as the offensive line goes, and J-Law touched on a little bit, what happened – to Chris Owens, did you see anything different 
with whether it was the center or the right tackle, because those are the two kind of new guys. You know, Damian George took over for Chris Owens and Seth McLaughlin took over for Darian Dalcourt. Did you see anything different up front when he went back and rewatched the game to to maybe help with protection, whether it was calls or just communication, period? Is there anything that you saw different that helped the offensive line play such a great game? Yes. On top of – well, I I think – and Saban mentioned it in his, in his um, press conferences and stuff. I think what they did was that Auburn game just finally opened their eyes. Like, what are we doing here? Why, 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 why is it taking all of our checks, all this BS? And it's even the clock is running the clock down. Now we're flustered. Um, now we we can't think straight. The time's running now. We're everybody, you know, get a penalty. And here we go. Got to burn the timeout. Man, I just think they went in and said, we got to cut this BS out. It's unnecessary and just simplified everything. Look, this guy's coming. This guy's coming. You can see it. Simplify it. Simplify it. And the communication is still coming at the line. You can see Bryce makes his checks. You can see him telling, you know, B-Rob or Six or whoever, um, you know, switch sides or whatever, get this guy to get this guy. You see the center turn around, look at Bryce like, hey, you know, we're on the same page. And I love it. And I think that's important. And I know that that probably that, you know, simplification would have been way more appreciated in a hostile environment, you know, in Auburn where you're the road team. And, you know, I'm sure there was way more Georgia fans, you know, in in Atlanta for that game. So you had to simplify it because you did not know what kind of environment, you know, that that place had the potential to be if they got fired up or if it was like a really, really you know close game and stuff like that. You didn't want noise to be you know, as much of a factor. So by keeping things simplified, you know, quick, fast, efficient, get those calls in and run the damn play, man. Just run the play, you know. And I think that was a big help, and that should be the key going forward. Yeah, uh, like you said about Seth, that's a good point there because I saw that multiple times, him turn around and actually look at Bryce, and that's something that you never saw Dalcourt do when he was in the game. And, uh, you know, another thing, like you're talking about running that play clock down, um, the defense knows that too. They can see it, you know, and, and those pass rushers, they really get geared up whenever it's 3-2-1. They know that uh, as soon as that center, whether it's a silent count, whenever he throws his head or whatever, that ball's, that ball's coming out. You don't have to worry about a, uh, a hard count or a fake clap or a, a fake silent count, whatever. And, uh, and um, so – in that regard, Lester, if it if it continues against Cincinnati, for, I, I was so frustrated because I, I told y'all this in the text. I kind of ran it. I think it was last night, maybe Monday night. I can't remember. Um, why why did it take so long? I'm so frustrated because it takes 13 weeks to. And, and I remember somebody on Twitter tweeted, "Oh, the last." The what he's naming rattling off all the times Alabama was an underdog and how much they won by and I'm and I and I commented and I said all those teams had an offensive line with the pulse because how many times did I say to y'all if Bryce gets protection Alabama doesn't lose to anybody there's nobody that can beat Alabama when you give number nine protection and he doesn't need six seven seconds he doesn't need Tom Brady type protection he needs three or four seconds max 
and he can make something happen with the ball or with his legs. And, uh, and, and so, Lester, why did it take 13 weeks for this to come about? Why do you think that all of a sudden in, in a championship format, you know, where was this LSU game? Where was this Texas A&M game? Why does it take 13 weeks for the coaches to finally make a decision on film? Because there's three guys right here on this podcast looking at each other on the video screen that saw this shit happening back in September. Why does it take the coaches that are making millions of dollars 13 weeks to figure it out? I think that everybody thinks that they're the smartest guy in the room. This is my system. This is what works. This is what I like. This is how we're going to do it. You know, everybody's stubborn. You know, nobody wants to, you know, admit that they're wrong. And I think, I I don't know, they, they lost to A&M. The LSU game was close. But I think that the Auburn game was kind of like the first oh, shit, moment of the season. You know what I mean? Like where this point, this offensive line, this is the reason why this game went this way. Because if you go back to Texas A&M, you can look at, you know, the ball that was kicked out of bounds, um, offense score, you know, 30-whatever plus. Like the offense wasn't a problem. You know what I mean? Now, LSU, that game, that that's just LSU. That game could go either way, whatever. Edo's fired up trying to get, you know, they're motivated or whatever. But Auburn is like the first, like, oh, shit. Like, you know, think of, you know, Georgia, their defense surely is much better than Auburn, right? And I think finally it forced them to sit down and, like, just go back to the drawing board. And I wonder I wonder how much the player input has on calls, checks, and, you know, how the offense is ran. Because, you know, don't you think that the offensive line or Bryce, they're like, we're doing everything that you're telling us to, and it's screwing us up. Why don't we – why don't why don't you guys come up with a system to simplify it? You know, you think that, you know, maybe that conversation could have been had earlier in the season when it was clearly a problem. Well, I guess it really wasn't a problem until Auburn or whatever. But still. But it still. was a problem, dude. I mean, we saw it. Like, we, we're sitting here looking at it every week. You have to change right tackles. You're trying to find a spot for Owens. Dalcourt can't do it at center. You try to move Owens there. He sucks ass. And then George starts sucking ass at right tackle. Dude, we saw this months ago. Yeah. And and I, I think that that's just what it was. Auburn just made them open their eyes. Maybe it was another mutiny situation where they're like, y'all got to help us out. The coaches are supposed to put the players in the best position to win. And up until, shit, the SC Central game, they, the coaches had failed the players in doing that. So I'm, I'm glad that the changes were made. And that should be scary for the rest of college football, whether it's Cincinnati, Georgia again, or Michigan. That should be very, very scary. So in uh, in 2017, Auburn beats Alabama and helps Alabama realize that they have a quarterback problem in week 12 of that season, even though we had seen it all season long that Jalen was incapable of throwing the ball downfield with any kind of accuracy or confidence. Um, so Auburn helped to see that. So um, if we win a national championship this year, forecasting a little bit, do we credit it to Auburn as well for helping us fix our offensive line problems? Absolutely. I mean – Credit Auburn, credit Derek Mason for coming up the defense to blitz 13 people on every play to make mm-hmm. us realize that we have a problem. I mean, sure, Auburn should be at the ceremony. Hell, why not? 
<laughs> but guys, going going into the, so they made the change uh, on the second to last drive in the Iron Bowl, I think, you know, on the offensive line. Owens in, McLaughlin in, and those two guys they they get they put together the drive in the OT that gave Bryce time. So I mean, I they kind I think that there was that that battle between McLaughlin and Dalcourt had just gotten so close, which is kind of embarrassing that you even have a battle. Yeah. Like you're having a position battle. Either one guy's better or they're not. Like you've seen it for eleven games, but McLaughlin was good enough. And maybe, sometimes, man, Chase, you know, you guys know this. You're, both of y'all played in the trenches in high school. And sometimes it, when you get out there, it clicks. You, there it is. Like, I mean, Seth McLaughlin yeah. was a left tackle in high school. I mean, but he got out there, he snapped the ball. Mm. There were no bad <clears throat> down court. And, listen, he made the plays that he had to make. Did he get beat a few times? Yeah. Did Cohen get beat more than McLaughlin in that game? Yeah. So, I mean, like, to me, if they can just step it up and get it going, um, it, like they did against Georgia, they'll be fine. It, 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 the solid count was a big thing at Auburn, man. So Damian George, he needs a half a step to get set and ready to go. Well, the Alabama offensive line had that against Georgia. They didn't go silent count a lot, went off the clap that you could hear it. I know mean, it kind of helped out Chris Owens a little bit more, but they, they stepped up and played well. I was just I did want to ask the familiarity with Kirby's defense. How did do y'all think that helped Alabama's offense a little bit? No, because I think that – what, Kirby leaving 2015? Is that right? Um, so, I think even since then, the game has changed so much. I mean, you know, it's just – I mean, gosh, you just – you don't ever see an under center snap ever, ever anymore by any team. And uh, I think back even in 2015, the spread era was – you know, in full swing, but I think you still had a lot more power run plays. Now I think it's just so rare to see something that's not a zone um, out of the gun or a read or an RPO, you know, really, especially that RPO. So I, I'm not, because I mean, if that's the case and Kirby was is familiar with our defense as well, because I mean, Pete Golding sitting here telling everybody that Nick Saban doesn't even let him call his own defense. That it's Nick Saban's defense. And he, you know, so Kirby knows that just as well. And, uh, and I mean, you, you know, Bennett did throw for uh, 340 on us. But, I mean, I, I, I just – I don't think so because the game has changed so much since Kirby left, even in, in the spread regard. You know, the rules have changed. I mean, the – you know, it's just, just so, so many changes to benefit the offense. And I, I think the problem – it's just – it's about protection, J-Law. I mean, gosh, that's what we talked about, dude. Because the the stop and go route to JMO, the uh, the third and two when he's got to run the fifteen yard slant or fifteen yard post where he was wide open, uh, those you know, the pass to Mechie on second and twenty when he threw it down the boundary, the uh, the touchdown to Mechie, those plays don't happen without protection. It's like I mean every big play Bama got other than Bryce's, uh, you know, even when he scrambled for the touchdown, he had a chance to diagnose the defense, see that they were in man-to-man, and then he was able to scramble out left because Neil watched his guy, and he saw some green and was able to run it in. Every play that he made was because of protection. Yeah, uh, and I agree, man. The protection was there up front. Uh, man, you just can't – I really just – uh, when you think about, about these two defense game, 
all you heard about was how Georgia's was this and Georgia's was that. But, dude, if even if you look at it right now, Alabama's rush defense is like a yard off of Georgia's. So through 13 games up front on the defensive line, like is Georgia that much better than Alabama? Uh, the, the rush stats would tell you no. At linebacker, because I thought 8 and 10 had a phenomenal game, are they that much better than Alabama? Yes. I mean, so like – are they? Is yeah. I mean, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. If, if I could switch Christian Harris and Henry T with Nicobe Dean and Nolan Smith, give me that. Just yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. Nicobe Dean years. is so fast. I mean, that guy is bona fide top ten pick. There's people saying that Henry T may come back because he's getting a third or fourth round grade. Our buddy Drew Montgomery, the guy that was on here last week, he thinks that. Uh, I think Henry T is going to go anyway. Um. Hoping him and Harris don't go, but dude, oh my God, dude, Nagobi Dean is so. I, I listen, I'm just telling you what I've watched with an Alabama offensive line that's been terrible since right. week two. Rush for what one? What did we get? One, one something? Yeah, 115, something one, like that. One Rush for 115. A lot of some quarterback scrambles. I, I'll give you the credit. Rice had 40. I mean, he had less than half. But no sacks. They can't come up with anything. And don't tell me they didn't try to bring pressure. They did. They, they, oh, they did copied. everything. They did everything. I mean, they brought six, they brought seven, they brought four, and they brought three. And, and that's the thing. Kirby was just so mind – he, he got his mind dick so bad. I mean, it's just – he was just – he was screwed. And, the, and the, 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 the notion that, well, Georgia knew that they were in the playoff no matter what. Dude, don't give me that because they were up 10-0, ready to stomp a mud hole in Alabama's ass, ready to embarrass Nick Saban. Ready to run this Alabama team off the field. They were they were going for it up 10-0. You could feel it. I know none of us were at the game, but you could feel it. You could feel it in your living room. And Alabama answered right back. And I'm telling you, at the end of that game, Alabama's defense to me, and it was been one game scenario, was just as good as Georgia's. I mean, I, I guess you can say that, but Georgia just doesn't have the offensive personnel that Alabama does. I think they got the best tight end in the country. Their quarterback's washed. He's uh, cheeks. Um, I George Pickens, George Pickens is okay, but, I mean, dude, they're talking about Jermaine Burton cannot get separation, and Bama doesn't have great corners. I mean, gosh, they've been picked on. Gosh, K.J. Jefferson still throwing for, for yards on, on Alabama's secondary and uh, they don't cover one-on-one well. We run a lot of man-to-man. Georgia's receivers, that Adonis Mitchell, whatever, he could not get separation. McConkey, other than that screen pass, I mean, that's why they ran the screen pass, because he could not get separation. Um, Pickens went up and made one good catch down the field. Uh, and, and then, you know, Jermaine Burton could not get separation. And so the receivers just don't impress me. And their quarterback does not impress me. Uh, I, I – I mean, their running backs are okay, but, you know, if you stop the run, that's what we talked about. They're not built to play from two scores down. So we thought when it was 10 to nothing, that would not happen. Then, of course, you have the huge run. And once it got to two scores, we were all texting. I was texting you. I'll be like, hey, look, this game is, is, I mean, of course it's in your favor since you're up two scores. But, man, with the quick strike offenses in college football nowadays, two scores is nothing. Um, yeah, Alabama proved that. I mean, gosh, within five minutes, they were ahead of Georgia, 14 to 10. And, uh, but with Georgia, with that dinosaur offense, they, they, they don't have the big playability. They're very limited in what they can do, especially when you have a walk on at quarterback. 
um, against a very good defense and a defense that's, that's playing really well. You know, they had their best game of the year against Auburn. It rolled over into the SEC championship. So, dude, I, I mean, that that's exactly what we talked about. Alabama got up on them two scores. They're not built to do that. You stop the run. And if you, dude, if you cover Bowers, you might win that game by 40. I mean, I mean that 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 might be a 40-point blowout. I'm talking about 49 to 17 or something. I mean, you, you beat the hell out of those guys. Um, but Lester, you lose John Mechie, tears his ACL out for the season, gonna be a huge loss for Alabama. Dude had 97 catches on the year. Big part of Alabama's offense, that one-two punch with Jamison Williams. You still got JMO, so all the attention is going to go to him. He, he will not be single-covered for the, for the entire college football playoff. That's pretty easy to see. Um, so who steps up, man? Who, who's, who's next up? We, we know Slade Bolden's going to be in the rotation, but I don't think he can handle that number two slot, Lester. So if it was up to you, who's stepping up? I mean, we got Brooks. Um, Jojo and Jojo Holden, right? That, those are your Holden. three. Is um, is a Jai? He's I'll be shot if he's on the team next year. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and tell you. I <laughs> mean, five star talent, one star, you know, mentality. Uh, I don't yeah. know. He just can't. He's just so you know, there, there's talented bodies clearly behind them, behind you know, Mechie and and. And they're, they're four stars. They're five stars. Have they been playing a lot? No. But there's no reason to believe they're, they're not just as talented, if not more talented, than, you know, Slate for sure and Mechie. And while, while, while we're on this topic, I think me and J-Lo were talking about this, like Call of Duty or whatever, but we gave Mechie hell to begin the season because, hell, he sucked. We gave that guy hell. Up and down every which he way. He could not get separation. He couldn't. Credit to that guy, though. He, yeah. He got healthy or he found another gear. He did something, and that guy played his ass off. And I just want to come back on here and say that. That dude's a freaking baller. J-Law, you know, same, same question, just follow up that. You got JoJo coming off the, the knee injury. Um, Treshawn Holden had a couple of catches in the game. Corey Brooks, I think, had a catch as well. Um, do you think it's like a committee thing, or, or do you think that these next two weeks of practice, you know, Saban really challenges these guys and pushes those three and be like, hey, somebody's got to go and take it? Or do you think it's maybe, you know, a, a committee type of thing where each one of them plays about the same amount of snaps and you kind of just kind of go with a hot hand and whoever has the best communication with Bryce at the time? No, nah, I think it's going to be Brooks. I think you could tell it was going to be Brooks uh, in the Iron Bowl and in the Arkansas game when he was playing over Treshawn Holden. So clearly to me, um, Brooks was at least your number four receiver because Slade was three. He'll probably jump to two. Slade stay three. But, I mean, when does Alabama get back to the tight end usage, right? <clears throat> they, they've kind of gotten away from him a little bit, probably by design, because you don't feel like you could trust him. But with a month off here or three weeks off, can they can they get a refocus on Jaleel Billingsley? And I think Bryce is going to watch a lot of tape, you know, and realize, you know, 19's been open. Yeah, 
even the play he had the, the, against Georgia nine, maybe it was a third and nine, but he was falling to the Georgia, quite frankly, just like Auburn a few times, and they didn't cover the tight end. So look for Alabama to take take some advantage of some tight end mismatches, especially in that Cincinnati game where you feel like Billingsley is better than their linebacker or any nickelback that's going to be covering him off the line or in the slot. But as far as receiver goes, I mean, I think it's Ja'Cory Brooks. The guy has all the intangibles you feel like being able to play in such a big spot at Auburn. He's got quickness. He caught a little slip screen, and he hit a gear that looked similar to Jameson Williams off just stop and go pretty quick, more acceleration than Mechie. And I think in the next two and a half, three weeks, man, they're really going to put an emphasis on that guy and tell him, listen, man, we trusted you in the biggest moment of the Iron Bowl. We're going to trust you in the college football playoff. Yeah, I hope that Saban sat those three down and be like, hey, look, you're the top candidates, but somebody's got to go take it. I'm not going to run you guys out there and Saban run 70 plays, give you all, you know, whatever, 23 apiece. Um, I, you know, somebody over the next two weeks has got to show me that they're willing to take their game to the next level. And I don't care who it is. Sure, Ja'Cory made some big plays at Auburn. You know, he only had two catches, but they were, you know, the biggest catches of the game on the biggest drive of the game um, on the biggest stage in the most hostile environment that you played in all year. So um, he would probably be my favorite too, because I think JoJo, um, he got the first shot for a reason. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that didn't even enroll early. He came in in May after graduation and, and he still got on the field. And uh, so obviously Saban liked him or in what he was doing more than the others. Um, but he really didn't do anything with it. He had the chance to return some punts. He fumbled a couple got, you know, or muffed a couple of punts, didn't really do anything in the passing game, didn't have a good relationship with Bryce on the field. And so, you know, he, and when, when he got hurt, you know, he really wasn't playing much anyway. Uh, so I think that somebody's got to take the bull by the horns and they, they really got to step up and show Saban that, hey, you can trust me to go into a playoff game and be the number two guy. And, uh, I mean, guys, you're talking about a guy that's got to have, what, six to nine receptions a game in these next two? I mean, this isn't a guy that, you know, goes out there and runs a couple of routes like Slade Bolden and maybe Bryce will check it down to you for a five-yard gain. You've got to make plays downfield. And uh, and this is this is a big situation when you've got – I mean, gosh, dude, J-Mo might have, might have three guys on him. And I think it's got to be your best man-to-man guy. That's what it's got to be. If that's JoJo, then it's going to be JoJo. If it's Ja'Cory, then go with him. Uh, I think they're both faster than Trayshawn Holden, but uh, – you know, whoever can beat the man-to-man coverage because that's what they're going to see. And who, you got to beat it, you know, 8 to 15 yards downfield. You can't just catch a slip screen and go. you got to be able to beat a guy off the ball and, uh, and, and get separation. But, guys, as good as Saturday afternoon was, I mean, there was a part of me that was like, hey, I'm not going to turn on the TV. You can't ruin this for me. I thought Georgia was going to blow us out. Um, I literally got my family out of the state so I could just get away from sports because I was like, Saturday is going to be a terrible day um, because we're going to get our ass spanked by Georgia, lose the SEC championship game, not make the playoff, and then we got to turn around and we got to get our brains beat in by Gonzaga in basketball. Well, guys, neither happened. The only thing that happened is that I was out of the state. Alabama spanks Georgia's ass, and then – Turns around, I'm like, you know, I'm not even watching the basketball game because you're not going to bring me down off of this high. I'm too high right now. I'm feeling too good. I'm not going to watch basketball. It's just going to make me mad. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, 
<clears throat> excuse me. I'm like, oh, Bama's up 10. Bama's up 12. I'm like, holy crap, what's going on? Then, you know, you're up like 16 at halftime. Alabama goes on and beats the number three team in the country, Gonzaga, 91 to 82. Lester, this game was played in Seattle, brand new arena that holds like 18,000 people. Gonzaga's home arena holds six. And so this is like three times the size of their arena. And they had just as many Gonzaga fans in there. There Hardly any Bammers had gone out to travel to Seattle. And uh, so this is a huge home game for Gonzaga. Bama goes up there. I think at one point they were down 14 to 13 and then got the lead back and never relinquished it. I mean, beat their ass uh, on their, you know, basically their home floor. Lester, talk about how big – this win was for Alabama. Alabama was up to number nine. I think they're eight and one, seven and one with the loss to Iona. It's like the worst team they played so far. Um, so talk about uh, we and, and you know, like we said before the podcast. Gosh, with our football team playing such close games every year, every week, we haven't had a, a lot of you know hoops talk on here. So talk about the Gonzaga game specifically, but also what you've seen this season. Um, um, from the team and, and how they started the year, you know, with some big matchups coming up as well. Alabama should be the most fearless team in America. It, it, I mean, look at what you, you've done. Look at who you just beat in a, in a special arena, in a special place. There's, there's nothing that this team cannot do. Clearly, clearly nothing they cannot do. Um, Chet Holmgren and the freaking Drew Timmy, who would have been nice to have in Crimson, beat the hell out of those guys. I mean, and on top of that, the adversity that that team faced during the course of that game. I mean, the refs did everything they could during the game, and especially down the stretch. Bam was in foul trouble hella early. Uh, They did everything they could to give that game back to Gonzaga. But Credit to Nate Oates for keeping his cool. Thank God. No BS, you know, um, technical, whatever. And and I've said it for a while that Oates probably has a bad rep between refs and that they might screw him a couple times because they know he's kind of a hothead. But, you know, Bama should be the most fearless team in America. And if Bama's on the schedule, they, they are a team to be feared. When Shaq is on, he's not doing stupid stuff. When he's not dribbling balls, trying to go, you know, whatever. When, you know, Bediaco, God, I love the guy. He's rebounding. He's on his game. This team can do anything. J.D. Davidson, he's only going to get more comfortable on the offensive end and defensive end. He's only going to get better. This is a legit title contender team if they stay focused and they stay on top of their game. Yeah, um, you know, Gary, Bediaco. Miles and Gurley all finished the game with four fouls and they didn't pick them up very late either. Um, but you know, this isn't an Auburn podcast. We're not going to sit here and complain about the refs, but uh, yeah, Drew Timmy, he, he gets a lot of calls and uh, he's a smart player. He knows how to, you know, use the arm hook. They really broke that down on Twitter this week. And I saw that's pretty interesting, but Hey, it's a smart player. And, um, and yeah, Alabama didn't get a lot of calls. And, you know, really, if you look at the stats, J law, you know, this team, we always talk about Alabama shooting whatever, 30, 35% from deep or whatever. Um, this game was very evenly played uh, as far as, you know, 
rebounds, uh, 43 to 42, um, you know, assists, 15 to 17, steals, seven to six, blocks. Both teams had nine. Both teams had 12 turnovers. Uh, Alabama had 24 fouls to Gonzaga's 15. So that should tell you a lot about, <clears throat> about the calls that Gonzaga was getting. But, dude, um, Alabama shoots 38% from deep, you know, 40, 43% from the field, which isn't great, J-Law. But the kicker in this game, Alabama attempted 11 more threes than Gonzaga, made four more. There's your difference right there. This is a nine-point ball game. That's three possessions. And uh, Alabama made four more threes. And so just the pace of play, you know, Gonzaga doesn't necessarily play at a high tempo. They're more of a half-court um, offensive system that Mark Few likes to run, especially with Chet Holmgren and, and Drew Timmy, guys that, you know, aren't really built to run. But I think Alabama's pace of play won this game. Gonzaga's going to score. Um, Alabama's pace of play, though, the fact that you were just able to get more possessions – and get more shots, won you the game. Yeah, it's Nate's style of ball, man. We're not we're not coming in there to shoot a mid-range two. If we're not getting to the rack, we're going to shoot the three ball. And, I mean, that's kind of what we've seen. And also, I mean, we've been saying it since uh, probably the beginning of last year. If Alabama can shoot 38 to 44% from three, you know, if they don't go ice cold, they're going to have a chance to beat a lot of teams because they are going to shoot – the heck out of the three ball. And that's what they did. And then to go to Seattle this is and win that game, you know, you just lost to Iona a, a week before. You closed out that tournament in, in Orlando with a win over Miami. And who knows how good Miami is. It was dominant. But to keep the ball rolling and get a, a signature regular season non-conference win to add to the resume, uh, and and uh, build a little momentum before you roll into this Houston game uh, this weekend. I mean, Saturday, so that's a big one. Alabama's a – they're the higher-ranked team, but according to FPI, they're a pretty big underdog, like only a 35% chance to win that game on their home floor. But, man, yeah, they got off to the races. And I thought J.D. Davidson played phenomenal. Shaq needed a couple compliments in that game, and, and he got it from some some key playmakers. They we played well in the paint. They weathered the storm from Drew Timmy, who – you know, I think Nate Oates really wanted to give it to a little bit. We're coming to your house, Drew. You, your house should be Coleman Coliseum. But uh, you you chose Gonzaga, and I don't blame him. But, yeah, Nate Oates wanted to come out there and, and, and kind of show Drew Timmy what he had and Mark Few, who is one of the best coaches in college basketball, and he, and he does it on his home floor. But not to talk about – not to take away anything from Alabama, but, you know, Gonzaga lost to Duke, played a – uh, ugly game versus I Charlotte. I knew you'd say this. And somebody. No, but I'm just saying, like, it, it. I don't want to get everybody's hopes up. Let's see what Alabama does against Houston. If they right. win or keep it close, I'll say, okay, this Houston team is for real. It's a team that's probably going to win their conference, make a deep run, sweet 16, elite eight type of team if they get hot with the athletes and the players that they have. But I mean, I mean, Gonzaga's still going to be there. But this isn't Gonzaga of last year, not taking away anything from their win. They have dominant players. Drew Timmy's as dominant as a player that you're probably going to see this year in college basketball. But I think a lot of Alabama fans who maybe just started following college basketball are starting to understand, man, this, it ain't football. This isn't like a one game makes your year, breaks your year type of thing. You can't beat Gonzaga, but, you know, 
lose to some of the worst teams in your conference or lose to Iona, maybe if they don't end up winning their conference, that could be a kind of a not the best loss in the world at the end of the year. So you got you want to get some wins that you're not supposed to get, but also take care of business that you're supposed to take care of. And that's what a solid resume looks like at the end of the year. Yeah, I think one thing I've seen from this team uh, is is consistency. Um, you know, they and the the thing that what's scary about this team, this Alabama team is the uh, the SEC the MVP of the SEC tournament last year is playing like crap. Uh, Javon Quinterly cannot figure it out. He's had a terrible start. Uh, a lot like last year, did not start well last year, really came on about middle of the season when Alabama hit that winning streak in SEC play. And, um, and, and you know, really from after the Oklahoma game on, man, he really turned it on. So you think that Q is going to hit that streak eventually. He's not shooting the ball well at all. He's, he's turning the ball over a lot. He doesn't have the explosive first step. It's literally everything that we said at the beginning of last year. I, I don't know why. It, 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 you know, hopefully it takes him about 20 games just to settle in and then really find his groove and his rhythm. And then, you know, he becomes a bigger part of this offense. But, you know, Shaq shot the ball 16 times against Gonzaga, eight of them, half of his shots were beyond the three-point line. That's where Shaq's got to be. Uh, he, he, he's got to be a, a three-point shooter first, um, you know, then maybe a pump fake and a drive, but he can't be a slasher first type guy. He's helping the team the most when he's shooting 50 to 60% of his shots outside of the three-point line. Um, that, that's where he's most dangerous. That's, when, that's what's going to get him paid because no NBA scout is cutting on Jaden Shackelford film and watching him slash and be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's something I can work with. That's, that's hurting his NBA draft stock every time he does that because he has no handles. He, he has no elevation. No leaping ability. He can't score over anybody. He just throws up wild shit. Sometimes it does go in. Um, <clears throat> but what's going to get him paid, if he does get to the NBA as a role player, he's going to be a three-point specialist. And uh, so the more he does that, the more you know he's looking good for – the better he looks for, for NBA scouts and the better his film looks. But um, Lester, our man, dude, J.D. Davidson, is easily – uh, his his best game is a college athlete. I know it's only eight games in, but he got 27 minutes, man. He played a lot. He goes four out of six from deep. You know, everybody was worried about his shot. His shot looked really good on Saturday night. He scored 20 points, you know, five rebounds, three assists. You know, this dude is coming into his own, and he's getting better and better and better. Yes, he is, man. Truly, truly exciting to watch. I mean, that dunk to kind of unofficially ice the game yes. was, amazing. was amazing. And that, that starts on the defensive end. You know what I mean? So he, he's, he's becoming well-rounded, becomes a complete package. And as he gets, like I said earlier, as he gets more and more comfortable, as when that guy is playing two or three steps off of him, instead of passing it, you know, he'll take that shot. Instead of, you know, I don't know, when he sees the opportunity, take it. Become more aggressive. An aggressive JD, but one that plays, you know, within himself and in control, that's scary. That's scary. And it's so good to finally be deep in the backcourt. 
multiple guys that can handle the ball, multiple guys that can shoot, multiple guys that can run the offense. There, there's no drop off when guys are subbing in now, and it's beautiful. We've been waiting for that from Alabama basketball for, you know, hell, forever. I mean, hell, you see some guys. There's, there's not one guy that comes to score so he'd be tagged in now. Where I'm like, oh shit, here comes this guy. You know what I mean? Who, if, if there, if it is, who is it? Hell, I'm glad. Uh, he's Alabama. hurt. He's hurt right now. He'll be back in yeah, January. Yeah, yeah, he is. He yeah. is. But hell, I'm glad to see Tyler Barnes get some burn now. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see everybody who comes to the game to play. And we haven't had that in a long time. Yeah, Ambrose Hilton kind of sucks. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, Rojas will be back soon. So we'll get to watch him dribble it off his foot and think that he's LeBron James and try to play some bully ball, you know, get some charges called against him, get dunked on a couple of times, get blown right by because he has no knees, um, you know, break some threes, you know, that that's coming soon um, because uh, anyway, we'll, just, we'll say that for January. But, J-Law, if I tell you that, hey, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy have double-doubles, and Keon Ellis scores four points, how many do you think we lose by to Gonzaga? Yeah, more than I thought we were going to lose by the tip, and I already <laughs> thought it was a, a 10 plus. <laughs> That's 10 what plus a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people so. were blinded by Shaq's great performance that they forget that Keon was a non factor in this game. I don't say non factor. Like, I mean, he did, he did a really good job against their guards in the defensive end, especially against the dribble pull up, which they love to do, the mid range, which is their game and a big part of their half court offense. But, uh, you know, him only scoring four points, not a lot of help on the offensive end. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the fact that Alabama went into that environment across country, I mean, you got the jet lag, you got the time change, all that jazz. And to play their best basketball of the season has got to give you some kind of hope. And so, you know, like J-Law was talking about, you come in um, and, and whether Gonzaga is the Gonzaga of old or not, they're still a good basketball team. They have, you know, multiple four and five star players. They have a really good roster. And uh, so, you know, your next two, you've got Houston, who's a top 15 team. You've got Memphis, who's got a lot of talent. They're just young. Uh, Georgia beat them, and I think somebody else just beat them. Maybe another SEC store. I can't remember. But, um, you know, these next two games over the next six, seven days are very important for Alabama um, as far as the consistency factor goes. Lester, give me a uh, – I think me and you are actually going to be able to go to the game on Saturday, give me a little breakdown of what to expect on, on, on Saturday and if you think that Alabama can keep it going. Um, yeah, Saturday, I'm looking forward to it because Saturday should be what Heisman Saturday night should have Bryce winning the Heisman and the crowd should just come on out, be fired up, they're ready to watch some basketball. And at a at a, a different time, I'm looking for the student section to come out, be lit. It's going to be 9 o'clock, you know, finals over with, release all that stress, come get turned up at the basketball game. And I think that the team is going to feed off that. Houston is no slouch. They, they're a damn good basketball team. But I think that, you know, a raucous, you know, Coleman Coliseum and a team that is, you know, come off a high of Gonzaga, hopefully put in a great week of practice. I think it's going to be another fun game and another game that's going to, you know, open up some more eyes to Alabama basketball around the country. J-Law, I mean, 
the Will Anderson snub, we can talk about that for a couple of minutes. Just tell me what you think of it, if it bothers you or not, um, whether you even think it's a big deal about Aiden Hutchinson getting in to New York over uh, over Will Anderson, even though Will Anderson was voted the Nagurski Award a couple of nights ago uh, for Best Defensive Player of the Year, something Aiden Hutchinson wasn't even a finalist for. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Hutchinson getting the nod over Will Anderson to go to New York? Does it make sense? No. Do I really think Will Anderson cares about being invited to New York when he knows that Bryce is going to win it anyways? No. What about Will you? Anderson's not? No, I, like to me, I, maybe maybe I'm just a spoiled Alabama fan. But when, what the what's the freaking point of going? I get it's the experience, the Heisman Trophy thing. Maybe I mean I'm not a top tier athlete, so I never understand that. But dude, the guy's going in in. in in 10 years, Will Anderson is going to be Joey Bosa, Chase Young, making the big defensive end, pass rusher Bucks. Dude, he's not going to be thinking that he came in third or fourth in the Heisman voting. Now, should Aiden Hutchinson be there? No. His stats probably aren't even in the top 10 as far as defensive ends go, or at least Jack linebackers go in college football. But, man, I'm telling you, Will Anderson isn't sitting around thinking about well, uh, I guess I could have been in New York and finished fourth because Bryce is going to win it. What Bryce, is, what Bryce did for the last two weeks is Heisman worthy. And you could say Will Anderson's better. Um, I'd argue that. I could make probably a case for both. But if we all know it's an offensive award. Let's stop being mad about that. An Alabama player is going to win the Heisman. And now, so Alabama's going to have its the first wide receiver to win the first non-receiver, not non-quarterback running back to win it since like Desmond Howard or whatever. I mean, so they're going to have like there's. It's still going to make some history for Alabama because they're going to come back the year get their first Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in program history. Now it would have been a little sweeter for it to be in Will Anderson to be the first defensive player. It, did, did Charles Woodson win it as a defensive player? Yes. Well, he was like yeah, so he, was, he was a return guy. You know, he did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he did a lot. But I mean, the first, maybe in the history of the award, I guess the first full-time defensive player to win it would have been cool. But man, Bryce Young's going to win the award, so I'm not really sure why everybody's all outraged about Will getting an invite or not. I mean, he probably finished top seven or eight. I mean, how many guys do you want him to invite? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and I know, gosh, Alabama doesn't need any help in recruiting. But I mean, do these kids? are so easily per- persuaded into my high school kids by the smallest shit. Like, I mean, and for, for Nick Saban to be able to tell these guys, Hey, cut on the TV, you know, you see this outside linebacker that we got, um, you know, this could be you or whatever. I mean, it, it's not true. I mean, cause this doesn't ve- happen very often. Usually it's all offensive players. It's rare. The defensive guy even gets invited. There's only been a handful of the last decade, especially in the spread era. But, um, you know, I think it's a big recruiting tool. I mean, it's very cool that Alabama would have two contestants because my thing, you know, is, is, is Pickett, Stroud, and Bryce, right, or the other three. Um, if, if they would have done the fourth one as the Michigan State running back, Kenny Walker, Kenneth Walker, or whatever, I, I, I would have been like, okay, whatever. I, I, w- I would not have argued Will Anderson over him. You see what I'm saying? My beef is the fact that you did choose a defensive player, but you did not choose the best one. If you're going to do a defensive player, make it the best defensive player in the country. 
no matter where they play, no matter who their teammates are. Um, because to me, it looks like Will Anderson is being punished for going to the University of Alabama because, you know, since Alabama cleaned up the award show last year and Bryce is going this year, more than likely going to win it. You know, we want to represent some other team or whatever. So it looks like Will's punished for going to Alabama and playing on the same team as Bryce Young. And like J-Law said, he doesn't care. And I mean, yeah, but I mean, I think it would be a good I think it's a good recruiting tool. This show on Saturday, a lot of a lot of kids will be watching it and um I think it can be persuasive in some areas, you know, with some kids, you you just never know. And, uh, but yeah, I I think the fact that my biggest issue is uh, if you're going to take a defensive player, take the best one. And gosh, when he put their stats up side by side, it's not like it's close. Um, This dude has no business being mentioned in the same breath, same sentence as Will Anderson. Um, and, and so that's kind of my beef with the whole thing. But uh, Lester, regarding the college football award show uh, this Saturday, outside of the Heisman, we expect Bryce to win what? The Davey O'Brien, the Maxwell. Is that all Alabama's going to get more than likely? I think the the Joe or the the uh, offensive line award is kind of out the window. Uh, I, yeah, I'm thinking Jameson, that'd be it, right? Yeah. I mean, because does, does he win it? Yeah, yeah. And what's what's uh, Will Anderson up for? He's the well, he are, he won the Nagurski. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Did uh, Nakobe Dean win the Buckus? Yeah, didn't even. But he wasn't even a Buckus finalist. I think that's more of a slap in the face. Yeah, I don't understand how they did. But anyway, uh, I think the Buckus is like the stand-up linebackers, the middle backers. Usually, see win those. Uh, yeah. What about the Big Narek? Have they voted on that yet? What position is that even for? I forgot. That's just all best college defensive player. I, I don't know uh, if they voted on that, you know, or not. So, but. Will Anderson's is working to get screwed out of that, too. But, you know, like, like you said, if if the if the stat if, – if Will Anderson literally didn't have double the stats of the kid from Michigan, mm-hmm. I wouldn't care. But there's clear bias here. I mean, geez, guys, life life ain't fair. And <laughs> Doug, we're gonna win the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> like this, it's gonna yeah. be okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I say screw it, cause hell, Bryce and Will are sophomores. They'll probably be in New York again next year. So hey, it is what it is. I mean, you got Ohio State fans. What have they said? Like, uh, I mean, hang on. Gosh, I can't remember the tweet. But it was like we've had more Heisman finalists in the last five years than anybody. Uh, they haven't had anybody win it, but it was like Chase Young and uh, Cardell Jones and C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields or something like, like that. Like we've had a Heisman finalist the last so-and-so years or more Heisman finalists. I'm thinking, you know, people – see, and kids will listen to that, and that's what I'm talking about. That goes back to the recruiting pitch is kids will listen to that and pay attention to it, even though it makes no sense at all, because it doesn't matter. Like, all those guys finished, like, last. and uh, it, But it doesn't matter. You know, they hear that, and it makes them want to go play for Ohio State. I mean, look at the stupid the stupid little mullet kid that uh, just left Ohio State um, after getting that – you know, he skips his whole senior year of high school. He's from Texas and bails on all the Texas schools, stays committed to Ohio State for, like, over a year – enrolls way early and and now he's already left and uh and 
So, I mean, dude, these kids will listen to anything. And that's just that that's that's one of my top two beasts with it, other than, you know, if you're going to take a defensive guy, take the best one. Um, But guys, uh, you know, like we said, we'll talk playoff more as we get closer to it. We'll talk a little bit of the Cincinnati game next week, maybe some more bowl matchups. You know, got to give props to Auburn to get into the Birmingham Bowl again this year. Um, You know, they're going to play their hearts out. Auburn gets to play Houston at 11 o'clock in the morning. So get your bacon and eggs ready for breakfast with Barn one more time. Um, And uh, let's see, what else? Basketball this Saturday. What'd you say? What's that? Say we'll be at work because it'll be a Tuesday. Yeah, I know, man. That 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 sucks. You just you hate that because you know we we want to go and support our in-state school you, you know we, we want to go support them especially since it's just a quick trip up i-65 um you know you, you know auburn can they can bust to this one lester without anybody giving them shit for it how about that i mean yeah all those financial problems they're having down on the planes save some money bad. yeah save some money i mean the, the bowl committee is just doing them a favor Saves the fans money. Can you imagine bowl game? You'll have to get a hotel room. You'll mm-hmm. play top golf after the money you're gonna spend on hotel. You can you can go to the same top golf that you've been going to for the last four years. It's gonna be awesome. That's right. You know they you know they can have recruits take them to top golf the night before and then just top golf with their teams since they're on the same location. But yeah, it's, uh, you know what else is great about it being in Birmingham? Um, the SEC office is literally across the street from the stadium. All the Auburn yeah. fans about the calls and the refs. Look, Mike Sly's office is Come literally on. across the street. Just stop by. Go knock stop on the window. Is, is Mike Sly dead? <laughs> you know, or drop your checks off. Maybe if they weren't bouncing, you know, you might get some calls every now and then. Hey, make those out to Greg Sankey. Yeah. Yeah, Greg Sankey, not Mike Sly. Recipes Mike Sly the goat. <laughs> <laughs> He's not dead, Lester. He's not dead. Oh gosh! Like, Who was the one that was Phil Fulmer's big buddy that tried to get us in probation on probation? Uh, when that when that Roy Kramer? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, asshole. But yeah, big weekend for Alabama. You know, basketball and football. Um, you know, yeah, we'll talk more, guys. Anything else you want to add on the Georgia game? Um, congratulations to the SEC champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, and uh, Jayla, you got a girl dad shirt on? Yeah, it's a nice little house shirt. There you go. Hey, I got one too. I got one too. It is uh, what it is. But, uh, Jeremy Law, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, we appreciate you guys joining me tonight. Episode 54 of the Gump Runners podcast. We'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs>